This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 78 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello. John Papa. Hey, everyone. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Lucas Rubelke. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. Uh, quick shout out if you're interested in freelancing. That's the next uh, conference I have coming up at the end of February. Get your tickets now so you can get the early bird pricing. We also have three special guests. We have Igor Minar. Hi there. Uh, Mishko Hevery. Hello. And Brad Green. Hiya. I think we all know who you are, so we'll skip the introductions. But for those that don't know, they are basically kind of the guys that are running the Angular core team and uh, created Angular for us. So we're real grateful. There's been some big news since we had you on last. Uh, do you want to talk real quick about the, the beta and some of the other things that you've got going on? Yeah, I don't remember when we were on last, but on December 15th, we announced beta. I think a lot of folks have heard about it. And we were really intending this to be the signal for folks to start development. Because, you know, our criteria was that we kind of stabilized the APIs and that we'd actually tried it out on a bunch of internal Google products. And we've launched some and we'll be launching more soon. And so we got good confidence that this that people can actually be successful developing on it. And I want to clarify something. When you say developing on it, does that mean experimenting with it or using it in production? Well, it depends on who you are. And, you know, there's there's some things that might uh, prevent you from going live. So, you know, if you're an Angular 1 shop and you want to do the upgrade path and include Angular 2 with it, you know, the download size of both of those might be too big. And, we, you know, we're working on total payload size as one of our, our key initiatives, and we'll, we'll solve that soon. But um, as far as APIs and ability of Angular to be highly performant, that's ready to go. So you say ready to go, and yet this always brings up the question, and you must address it. What can you say about 
projected release, and if you can't say where you know what date it is, how would you um, tell people who have to make business decisions how they should think about their choices? Our goal is definitely to ship Angular in 2016, and we keep on. Well, don't oversell it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our goal is possibly, potentially, to. Uh, it's going to happen this year. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than many of you are expecting. But we don't want to disappoint because in the past we had the experience with setting deadlines and just um, making uh, it impossible for us to reach these deadlines and then we disappointed many people. So we're going to ship it when it's ready. And it's going to be sooner than most of the people expected. Well, I don't want to put any pressure on you guys, Igor, but we on the podcast team had a pool going that we announced on our last episode, and we have money laying on when the ship date will be. So no offense, but, you know. <laughs> Do we have money laying on this? We never – I don't really know we discuss money. I, I borrowed your credit card, Joe, but uh, – Okay. Yeah, I, I so uh, you're being very vague. Are, are, I, 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 I'm just wondering because, you know, there's this conference coming up in, say, May. And, you know, I was kind of hoping to see something a little beyond a release candidate by then. Well, let, let me just say specifically the things we must do. And this has been our strategy forever is to like, be really clear about, well, what does it mean for us to be final? And there's a couple, five things that we enumerated in our blog post when we went beta. One of them is we need to be smaller, and we've got a goal this year to be dramatically smaller, even smaller than Angular 1. But for Angular 2, we want to reach basically the size of Angular 1 so that you can have a similar download experience at final. The second bit, the new router is working for folks. The APIs work. We would like to be more ergonomic, and we're looking at some better APIs around that. There's a couple things that we want to finish in the developer guides. We want to make the ES5 documents and boards working on this with us, make sure that it's people are able to be successful through the dev guide on those things. Yeah, get going, Ward. Well, <laughs> you're holding up the release. Uh, yeah, I'm um, all that stands between uh, Angular 2 and release. I'm the, I'm the block. A <laughs> couple other things. What, what animations and flashlights. Uh, oh, animations and IATN. Yeah, and, and then we're good. And we're, we're making great progress on all those things, and we'll, we'll have some updates in a month or two on, on all that stuff. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm just looking at your blog post and just to iterate there. It says reducing Angular 2's payload, making the Angular CLI, doing the component router a little more justice, and animations, and then localization and IATNet. Yeah. Cool. No, no, no giant big things. Like, we know how to do all these things. Just executing on it. Now, I saw some, I don't know if it was a blog post or a comment or something like that about, because somebody wrote some article, it was a React versus Angular 2, and one of the things they talked about was payload size, and there's a whole bunch of people pointing out, hey, the payload for Angular 2 has not been adjusted yet. They're still in a very you know, early beta-type payload, not a late beta-type payload size. So then I later on, I think it was in that same conversation, or maybe it was later, just something else was a, a tweet somebody had said, but I heard the quote about a Hello World app, and there was a really tiny payload size for the Angular library in that. You guys heard that payload size? That oh, we discussed. That, that's our goal. We are the source of that river. But I, I think it'd be better for us to talk about the things we're doing to reduce the size. Yes, we, we want it to be very small. And our, our end goal by the end of the year is that you should really not pay for much of a library at all, and that we'll be generating code and just what you need for the use cases that need supporting. But maybe, Igor, you can talk more about 
specifically what we're doing. But before you do that, I just want to stop and say, I think it's interesting. We start talking about the beta and immediately we go to, well, when's it going to be final? And nobody actually went, yay, beta. So, so yay, beta. I mean, none of the, none of the rest of these guys will be satisfied with anything less, but you know. Right. I actually think that's a good point, Chuck, because one of the things uh, you know, I keep coming back to is the person who has to make the decision today. And, okay, that's great that there's an end goal at uh, the end of the year. But if you're saying this is the signal to start development, uh, what should I be looking forward to in a, in a progression of betas? What is my risk? Uh, I know there's got to be some risk of breaking changes, but how do I manage that risk? What's your advice to somebody who's looking at the project? Perhaps they're facing down others who say, yeah, you know, skip this angle and then go to some other framework. What, you know, how do you give somebody who has to make a business decision confidence about how to look forward to 2016? So with beta, one of the, one of the things beta means to us is we really want to start supporting people developing on top of Angular. And for that, for us, that means, you know, no breaking changes without notification or deprecation strategy. Uh, having clear migration uh, instructions. But really, like if you look at the list of things that we still need to do uh, for final, there is nothing major there. Like if we, if we make changes to the API, it's going to be minor stuff. We tried really hard, actually, to make all the major breaking changes before beta so that after beta, we are just uh, doing polish and just, you know, minor auxiliary changes to the APIs, but not uh, changes to the core APIs. And I think that's very important for developers. So for, for us, uh, beta really means, uh, you know, we are shipping applications here at Google uh, to production with uh, Angular. And uh, we actually, every time we make a breaking change, we need to figure out how to upgrade all of those applications. Because at Google, there is only one version of Angular 2 that everybody uses. And there is uh, several hundred developers already using uh, Angular 2. So... You know, we're not taking it lightly. We're thinking about developers building on top of beta and thinking really hard about every change that we need to make. And if we do really need to make it, how to make it easy for developers to get over the breaking change. And we actually have some pretty cool plans about how to automate this whole process so that it becomes non-issue or something non-controversial, not something that wouldn't stop developers about uh, and start making them worry about, you know, how am I going to deal with this breaking change? Um, I think. It's important to realize that things evolve. Like if you look at the web, uh, the only thing that is still happening is that the web is evolving. And with web, all the libraries and frameworks are evolving as well. And I think it would be foolish from us to think that, you know, once we stamp Angular 2.0, that it's going to be final and it's not going to change at all. So I think much better strategy is to prepare for, you know, how to deal with the evolution of the framework going forward. And can we do a better job than what we did with Angular 1 and from going from Angular 1 to so if somebody asks you today, because uh, I know you've got this question, Brad, I saw it on Twitter the other day, I think you answered. Somebody asked you today this question in one of two forms. I'm starting a project now, should I be using Angular 2? And then the second question I've seen is, I'm starting a project now that's delivering in March, April, May, June, July, pick a month. Should I be using Angular 2? H- how do you answer those things right now? And this uh, is any of starting new projects, this is a fine category for Angular 2. Now, whereas before beta, we said, no, you should only be doing Angular 1. Uh, Greenfield projects, though, great candidate for Angular 2. The question around would then be about shipping. When should I ship it? And I think it's only related to the, the download payload size. 
And if this works for your app, then great to go. And if not, then maybe wait until we make it smaller. You keep yeah, because I'm running an app right now, and it's a very sample app, but I see Angular 2 dev in the browser, and it's not bundled, it's not nothing. It's one meg. And, you know, this is obviously early beta, it's very raw, etc. now. But I imagine that's not the state you're going to be in, just putting it right out there. You're not going to be shipping a one meg file, right? No, no, no. So let's, let's go back to the payload size, because I think that's very important. Like, if you look at Angular today, the Hello World application is about 160k or 150 kilobytes uh, minified in GZIP, and that's basically our baseline. That's where we are, and we know that this is really bad. Uh, if you look at uh, the same application written with Angular 1, it's going to be something like 52k, if I'm not mistaken. And basically, our goal is, by the end of the first quarter, be at the 50k mark. And, and that's, that's GZIP, right? That's GZIP minified, yes. Gotcha. GZIP minified, around 50k. And we think we can do that by, by the end of March. Uh, and that would be good enough for us to say, you know, Angular 2 is production ready. But we have a goal that goes past the 2.0 mark. And that's the yearly goal. By the end of the year, we would like to get down to 10k, 10 kilobytes. This is a stretch goal. We're not even sure if this is possible. It's a little bit crazy, but I think we have some evidence that shows that if we think out of the box and think about things in a very different way than what we are, uh, how we are used to think about payload size and uh, assembly of the web application, we can actually reach the 10 kilobyte goal. Cool. Thank you. So I'd like to look at the other dimension. Like you know, most business people don't care about Hello World. They want to build a, you know, build an app. And, and you guys have been using Angular 2 for some time now internally to build uh, Google apps. So I think one of the other sort of business questions is, is A2 capable of supporting a large, serious application that has real demand? So what can you tell us about the, the kinds of applications uh, that you're intimately familiar with that are they're using A2 today? Yeah, so there's there's two real big apps that we've been lucky to work with. One one is this is Google's internal CRM application that our ten thousand plus sales folks use every day. It's called Green Tea. You can't see it out externally, but there's about a hundred developers on the project, and it's got five hundred components written on Angular two, and we're uh, it's zippy and nice, and we're really happy to have them giving us feedback. And they they were the first and earliest adopters. So we've been designing Angular 2 and the APIs to work at that, this scale for a long time. Our other externally facing product, not shipped yet, is this uh, other thing that Google makes money on called AdWords. And AdWords is writing their entire UI on Angular 2 now. They have come a long way. It's not, not shipped, but not too far away. And they have hundreds of developers um, using Angular 2. This is another another step function in terms of the size of Angular, where you know all the nice cases for really big apps and reducing size is important. They've got some really aggressive latency goals, um, and so things like latency, uh, like uh, lazy loading and optimizing all of the components, uh, making sure that that you know every part of every page is going to perform well. Uh, so we had that experience there. So we've been pretty confident this can work really well in big enterprise applications. 
Can you comment a little bit about what it's like to coordinate, uh, you know, 100 developers around uh, around Angular 2? Is it, Have you learned anything aside from, like, it's always hard to coordinate 100 developers? But, I mean, anything <laughs> that, <laughs> that people can take away from trying to work with uh, Angular 2 at uh, that kind of team scale? Uh, a couple things, maybe. So, so one is that, actually, lazy loading is really your friend here, because if you can compartmentalize your app into separate tabs, then an individual development section can only load the part of their app they care about. And this is great for running your tests and great for managing your dependencies and just how much do I have to conceptualize in the whole project. Um, another was around migration because these guys on PT, they started on the previous version of Angular and then moved to Angular 2. Like one of the big realizations after trying to do it a couple ways is like you've got to migrate the services first. And, uh, you know, otherwise you're trying to build things your front end needs without the base being there. You, you, sorry, Brad, you mean like the back end services, web services? So the service layer in the browser, because it was an existing app, all of the server side APIs already existed. We just didn't have the business logic in services to, uh, in the Angular 2 style to support them. Gotcha. Oh, so so like it kind of leaked, it kind of leaked into the controllers and now you're trying to have a clean separation between yep. them. Business That's functionality right. and the components. Yes, and so make sure you've got services written first for any kind of migration, and then then build the component pages on top of it. What language are you guys? Uh, is your team? Are your teams writing it in? So the English. English team is writing in Dart, which is you know it's popular here inside Google. I think for external folks, it looks very close to TypeScript, and the APIs on Angular are exactly the same. So I don't expect you to have a different experience. Uh, we're also starting pilots with uh, TypeScript here at Google, and yep. the, the first teams are just being onboarded to uh, us as we speak. So when you guys are building these apps, or these other teams are building them, uh, I imagine releasing Angular 2 is different than releasing Angular 1, right? When you guys had Angular 1, you didn't have this uh, history of massive experience and millions of people using it already. Uh, what have you kind of learned along the way as you're putting out Angular 2 uh, that's kind of changed. <laughs> Which poster? We got lots of posters. <laughs> I mean, it's very different now, right? Now you're kind of expected that bar is really high. So, what have you had to deal with as far as what's been challenging there? Well, we had we had a funny little kerfuffle where we we took down a lot of Google developments once. Well, because a lot of people depend on Angular, but anyway, I mean, so yeah, it's different on Angular too because you know when we started, we we were nothing. Nobody cared about what we did. And now everybody cares, and they're in our business. And Mishko laments those days when I could just make changes freely, and the yeah. migration was not a thing, and upgrades was not a thing. People didn't have opinions. People didn't have opinions. <laughs> it's far better now, honestly. Like, the end result is way better with having all of these other input sources. Yeah. Back in the days, like, it was just me and Mishko arguing about stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes in a very <laughs> interesting way. Um, and, you know, these days, it's, like, we get so many opinions, and we get just flooded with opinions. So, like, one learning from Angular 2 is, do not start a discussion unless you have an opinion already, because you're just going to be flooded with lots of opinions. It's much better to propose something, and then have people either create counterproposals or tweak the original proposal, then start Greenfield, because it's impossible to do Greenfield brainstorming at the scale. I think that's the biggest learning that I, I had. 
my learning is that people have opinions about syntax, but nobody cares about semantics. But the reality is semantics is the thing that really matters, and syntax is something you get used to, no matter how ugly it is. On that exact note, I was just listening to someone the other day who was saying, I chose, uh, I don't know if it was Aurelia or React, whatever it was, because I looked at Angular 2 and I liked it, except I couldn't handle the syntax. And I was like, really? That's the reason you turned away? It's I hear that, man. But, you know, I think it's preemptable. It's your initial gut reaction that tells you something about it. You know, whether or not you'll be successful or not at it. I think you do have to think deeply about what is what is the actual end result mean, which is why which goes like semantics over syntax. And not to belittle syntax, you know, we do spend a lot of time thinking about syntax and making sure that it makes sense and people upset the least number of people, but it, it, it's not the whole story, right? Well, actually, one, one cool thing about Angular 2, which we can talk about, is that the, the way we built Angular, syntax really doesn't matter that much. What matters is the semantics. And with Angular 2, if you want your custom template syntax, you can actually do it. It's not that difficult to take a piece of Angular and replace it with a, your custom piece, and all of a sudden, whoa, you have a, your custom syntax. Uh, the only thing that matters to us is that the syntax is semantically compatible with Angular, which is not that difficult. Like, if you, if you look at many of the templating languages out there, like, I think several compatible. Well, that's really good to know, because I wanted to get started on the lolcats template syntax. <laughs> no, but after you, only after you created the implementation piece. <laughs> that's how he's going to write the docs. <laughs> that's how I'm going to write it in lolcats. So, you know, um, one of the things that many of us have found when we go out and talk to folks is we really want to get them excited about talking about Angular 2, but we stumble at the door with the tooling that's in front of it. What can we expect to have happen there? I mean, some of it may just be education because everybody stumbles trying to figure out how to how to use these loaders and stuff like that. But how do you guys see? What's the future look like? Yeah, so... This is definitely a problem that we are looking at and, and uh, working hard on solving. And to, to understand what's actually happening is there, there is this fundamental shift in the web technology happening because there are several new uh, APIs and specifications being implemented by browsers. There is uh, the ECMAScript uh, 6 uh, with, uh, with lots of new syntax that is new to, to developers. We have new module system. Um, we have, uh, we're introducing TypeScript, um, which we hope that eventually will actually become more than, more than just a open source project. Uh, we are hoping that it's going to become part of the ECMAScript standard, uh, in some way or shape. So there are many things that are happening and developers like need to absorb all these changes at once and that can be overwhelming. There's a lot of, like you say, there's a lot of tools to configure to get all these things working together, right? Right. There, there are lots of tools that you need to use because most of the browsers don't actually support all of the specification APIs that we need. So we'll be using transpilers to write the code in the new way, but still running on browsers that we have today, uh, which requires extra tooling, extra configuration, and build systems, and test systems. So it's pretty complex. So here's what we are doing. We are working with different partners to simplify the whole tool chain. Um, the, the best example is the TypeScript uh, team, which we work very closely with, and we are simplifying everything so that, you know, if you're using FPM, if you're using um, Angular, there's very little configuration into the other box to use TypeScript to transpile either your TypeScript code or even ES6 code. Uh, if you choose not to use TypeScript, you can still just write 
VS6 code and have TypeScript transpiled to, to this file. We, there are other examples of these partnerships happening, but more importantly, we're also taking all these tools and, and integrating them into a project we call Angular CLI. And Angular CLI is, is a command line interface for building Angular applications. Um, the goal here is really to build a tool that will allow you to start your project, expand your project, test it, build it, deploy it, all with a single tool, where all of these other tools that you need to get all this stuff done are already integrated for you. Uh, if you choose to customize stuff, that's okay. If you want a custom test runner, or if you want your custom um, SAS processor, um, CSS processor, you can you can do that. But out of the box, you should just get some good experience that you should be able to customize more. You, you did mention early on in the conversation, probably worth reemphasizing, that somebody who's coming at this from ECMAScript 5, you know, they've been programming in JavaScript, the old JavaScript way, and we're going to make sure that they can continue to program with Angular 2 in that fashion if they so choose, right? Yes. Did I mention there's a guy named Ward working on docs for that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they want to hear it from you, man. They don't want to hear it. <laughs> it's definitely our goal that people should be able to stay with ES5 if that's their, their desire. We are focusing on TypeScript end of things because we see a lot of advantages of it, and it's just ES6 if you want to go to that. But, yeah, if, there, if folks want to stay with what works in all the browsers today, without a transpiler, ES5 is the way to get it. So I've got a follow-up question on that. We, I've seen the syntax for ES5, and compared to TypeScript, I would say it was hard to objectively say that it's anything other than, you know, certainly it's more wordy. And I would say it's, you know, a pretty decent step down. Is there any work specifically going to be done on that to make it a little bit easier? Or is it what it is because it's, yeah. it's just going to get in ES5? Yeah, the, the work has been done already. It's called ES6. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great point. Seriously, like, you know, ES5 version of Angular is not more wordy because Angular is more wordy in ES5. It's because ES5 is more wordy than ES6. So if you want code that looks better, that is uh, is uh, less verbose, use ES6 or TypeScript. And if you really want to look at the ES5, just transpile it back down to ES5, then look at it. Right. Well, I certainly hope that very few people decide to author a lot of Angular 2 and ES5 just because I think this is a great opportunity for people to move into the modern day. But the important thing is to realize that this is not Angular doing, or you know, Angular is not creating ES6 and TypeScript. These things are happening regardless of Angular. And you can choose to either stay with ES5 and Angular will be there for you, or you can go to this new language that we think is much, much better and will make you more productive. And once you learn it, you will get a better version of Angular with it. Yeah, man, we could enter, we could uh, take out the word Angular to this whole conversation that we're having right now and insert Aurelia, Ember, whatever you want. It's the same problem. Yeah, and my experience has been that it's the stumbling around with transpilers and the whole complicated build system that gets in the way before I can get started with my application that makes me feel like, hey, too much to learn here. Why can't I just go with what I know for a while? And I think and, that's and, why he's building Angular CLI. Yeah, I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's part of your answer to this question. Yes. But, but we're still going to teach people how to how, how to roll with ES5. What do you guys really see the usage percentage of the CLI being like near 100% of the people who are doing Angular 2 will be using the CLI or 
Last today, today is very low. We don't obviously have metrics yet. Uh, we're not pushing the CLI yet because the, in the current state, uh, the CLI is, uh, I call it a prototype. It's an experiment. What we did is we partnered up with the Ember CLI team to get off the ground quickly and build something that does the basic stuff, you know, and scaffolds your projects, allows you to add more components to your project, uh, provides you build system, uh, library load development server, uh, has uh, testing built in and has a uh, deployment to GitHub pages and Firebase uh, built in. But there are still things that are missing. We don't have optimization pipeline set up and there are, you know, many things where Ember shows up and it's kind of weird where if you don't have the background and understand the partnership between Ember CLI and Angular, it's, uh, you know, you would be surprised that you see Ember uh, in your command line. So there are these things that still need to be fixed up. We have a plan for this and, uh, we actually planning to get the CLI into a shape. We could uh, replace most of the documentation that we have uh, today, the developer guides, to use CLI by the end of this quarter. So switching gears a bit, Lucas and I were having this conversation about the designer story for Angular 2. So you might have like things like inline templates. Uh, they're considered best practices by some people and other people not such best practices. So do you want to go the declarative route or imperative context? Uh, how do you see that playing out with Angular 2? Any recommendations? Besides mine? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, this comes down to how much HTML do you want inside your JavaScript? Yes. That's a very, very valid question. Word. I don't know where this came, this idea that, that uh, inline templates are the best practice. Uh, it, it certainly is easy to write inline templates in ES6 because you have the backticks, so you have multi-line strings. It might be convenient for the purposes of, of our uh, documentation to inline all the stuff because you can kind of visually see next to each other. But certainly I wouldn't want to be editing a very large file, HTML file inside of uh, JavaScript because, well, the editors don't understand the, the structure of the WebStruck kind of has this mode where it kind of realizes that it's HTML inside of a string and fancy, fancy keystrokes you can get there, right? But like in general, it's just better to have an editor and it's dedicated and it looks at the extension and kind of see knows what it's done. So I think for for most large-scale projects, I think having a proper separation of HTML and JavaScript is probably the proper way to go. It's also better when you have so small projects that it's probably I'm the developer and I'm the backend and I'm the UX designer and I'm all these people. But if we, even if we are on a bigger team where I actually have some uh, some UX designers on it, it's much nicer for them to deal with just the template in the HTML aware tools that they already know. And you, you can go from their prototype straight into the development workflow without changing anything in Angular, which is like for big team and, and being inclusive of all your roles, it, I think it's very nice to have external templates. Now, what about things like uh, ng template cache that existed in uh, the plugin for like Angular 1? So how do we handle things? Is that where Angular CLI will help us out moving forward? So we're going to have to load our HTML and CSS on every page? Yeah. Sure. So, so the long-term goal is that you would compile down your application, and during the compilation process, we actually move the templates into the inline templates, but even going a step further, which is we actually generate uh, all of the uh, source codes necessary to, to create them. So when the you know when this new world where Angular and Hello World is about 10k big or something that range uh, happens, the idea is that what we ship down to the browser is all one huge JavaScript primary assets inline into them, whether it's small JavaScript. One small <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, one single JavaScript file. It depends how big the app is, right? 
uh, where all these assets are inlined in both style sheets and HTML. Obviously, images will stay separate. Yeah, because we want this balance, right? And that's, I guess, where I'm curious of where this whole tool is going to end up. We don't want to load every single file individually everywhere, meaning every component's got CSS and HTML and so on. But we also don't want to be loading one massive file, as you said. So well, I imagine it's a loading. So loading. loading by which you break things down. But for point of view of the performance, you want to uh, download as few files as possible and uh, with HTTP. And so also what you want to do is you want to skip the necessary compilation phase, so then you go two, and so you want to perform the compilation offline and just ship the final product, which is looks almost as handwritten application code that somebody would write in vanilla JS, where all the things are hooked up and no compiler is necessary, no uh, expression parser is necessary, and so on. And this is actually how we want to the, the code size, the payload size, with the offline template compilation, as we, as we call it, we'll be able to just take the HTML, turn it into JavaScript code, and then throw away the Angular compiler and not ship it down to the browser because it's not necessary there anymore. So this allows us to remove a big chunk of the code base and just not ship it to the client. Uh, we can do the same thing with DI and with some other pieces of Angular, and this is part of our strategy to reduce the code size. And before people get too worried about us co-generating too much stuff, we actually measured, and it turns out that the co-generated stuff is smaller than the stuff we are dropping. So Than the actual templates. Yeah, we're, we're not going to be generating, like, megabytes of code. <coughs> well, otherwise, we would say to 10 kilobytes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at a couple apps I built lately with Angular 2. And these are just apps I'm kind of building out. I'm, I'm working on a course for Angular 2, get moving, and I've been doing some samples and some hackathons, things like that. And one thing that's become very painful for me right now is while I'm really used to Angular 2 and I've gotten over the tooling side of things to you know, my own workflow, it's hard for me to find a good way to put UI components in place. Uh, you mentioned animations aren't ready yet. That's one of the things on your list. But what about just UI components? Like if I want to make sure uh, Angular Material in, in version 1 was awesome. Is there a platform or a strategy for getting that ready? So the same the same folks who built the Angular Material um, one are now working hard on the Angular Material two suite, and they're also shooting for an initial set of those in a couple months. So we're gonna we're gonna be seeing the you know early parts of their efforts like you know very soon, but then something we think very usable in a couple months. Sweet. So I don't have to stay with Bootstrap. Uh, well, you can like, and actually, there's there's a couple different versions of Bootstrap components for Angular two already done. I just saw a Prime Faces version of components for Angular two. So you know, there are a lot of other options. You don't have to go, you know, Material Design, although we, we love it here. Uh, there, there are going to be a lot of different ways you can do it. The, the Weejmo folks have announced for Angular two. The Kendo UI folks, um, you'll have options. Sweet. So we are going to see them. See all the uh, uh, control vendors get involved with adapting to Angular 2. I think all of the ones that I've seen, and, and there's a new suite of uh, Fabric UI stuff out there from Andrew Connell, and I think they're going to be doing Angular 2 version as well. So yeah, lots of great things to rely on. This is a somewhat delicate issue because there are enthusiasts, and then there are um, people who are, as we say, from Missouri, and that's about observables. Some people just can't wait to see observables, and some people are just shaking their head. 
So what's the angular position on observables and how to how to make these audiences comfortable? Because we've been talking about it a lot on different shows, and, and, and I can tell you that many of us have had our challenges trying to wrap our heads around observable in a way we never had that kind of trouble with promises. So how long did it take us to adopt promises? Overnight. <laughs> well, no. The, I, I think the JavaScript was invented in 95. Promises were like in 2002, so what's... All right, but I'm going to call, I'm gonna call BS on this one right away, all right? Because you look at the APIs of promises and observables, and you just look at it, and promises are vastly simpler than observables, and they don't have as nearly as many options. So, you know, I think there's still, there's a whole lot of developers that haven't even quite grasped promises. I know I can teach promises, and always could always could to people who had never seen it before in an hour or less. And I'm not sure that I could do that in observable. Now, I'm not knocking observable. I'm just sort of laying it out there that I think it's not fair to say that these are these are the same animal. They're quite different animals. And I'm just wondering how you're going to put people at, you know, what what's the position uh, overall on it uh, from Angular? We like uh, observables for events or, or events that are, are happening more than once. Uh, definitely observables is the way to go. One thing that we are experimenting with is, you know, could we use observables exclusively and not, not use promises? This is, uh, you know, controversial, and right now we're keeping doors open in both ways. But, you know, back to my question, promises, if my memory serves very well, were created in the 70s. There was a big spike of interest in the 80s or 90s, and then finally, like 2012, uh, the JavaScript community realized that this could actually be useful to solve problems that we've been having for two decades. Then promises took off. Observables are in a similar position, except that observables are much more powerful, and with that, uh, the API surface is uh, significantly bigger. I think the challenge we have is how do we explain that to developers that the bigger API surface is actually worth it? And if you start thinking in terms of observables, you'll be actually much more productive, you will have much more flexibility, you will be able to do things that you cannot do with callbacks or promises. The, the thing that I've seen that convinces people is, like, the simple cases, it looks way worse. Yep. But when I'm trying to write real code where I have to do retry and cancellation, all these things, it's slow, it's a lot less code, and way easier to read. Now, talk to anybody who built a real-time dashboard that tries to aggregate multiple streams of data uh, that are, you know, coming in and there, there are, the data sources are unreliable, you need to reconnect to them. It's almost impossible to do this correctly with promises or callbacks. So, oh, I, yeah, everybody's kind of on board when it comes to streams. I think we yep. can all, all, all nod our head at that. It's right. the use of it for CRUD that becomes challenging for people who have gotten used to promises. And, and, I, and I, yeah. So I want to jump in a little bit, too, on this, because I think um, I've been doing observables now with, with Angular 2, and it's, it's really been my first foray, to be honest, with RxJS and observables in Angular 2. And the struggle I've had is not the happy path. I've been using it exclusively now for my getting my data and doing things with events. The struggle I've personally had is when I try to do what I call real-world scenarios is I don't just call HTTP and it works. Sometimes I get errors back. And where do I bubble those errors? In the service or in the component or if I use an async pipe? And then figuring out how do I handle exception handling with observables. And that's been, i found that that's not very straightforward, at least to me. So I think that's an area, Igor, you hit it on the head, is... 
how do people show people the value in using these and that it's actually going to be helpful? And I don't know the answer to that right now. I, I think you're totally right. And I think there's a lot of work to be done to make you know debugging and, and error handling better. But honestly, like if you look at where observables are today compared to promises, observables are already in a much better shape. We have a specification for promises that doesn't allow us to have global error handling. Uh, and, uh, you know, this 39 is discussing this only now. Whereas with, with observables, um, you know, observables are not even specification and the error handling capabilities there are much better. And to say my experience has been uh, painful, the accept handling side, I've actually kind of enjoyed, the other side is I've actually kind of enjoyed using observables to get the data back and to send data around my application in Angular 2. So I do think people will adapt to them. But on the other side, I think there's a friction we have to be uh, aware of that not only are you learning Angular 2, but now you're also learning this new thing. Yeah. You know, it is our responsibility to remove this friction. Yeah. But you guys don't own our Let's be clear, right? It's not a Google thing. Observables aren't your thing. It's just something that you're adapting and saying this is useful in Angular. Is that correct? Yeah, but we collaborate with the folks on the people working on our apps a lot um, on a daily basis. It's probably worth pointing out for our audience that um, you can always uh, take an observable and go to promise on it and you're back in business or you just substitute a then for for uh, subscribe and it's usually almost the same. So uh, we have to help people get there and it's it's not that it's impossible. I, I, I'm not knocking observables. I'm just saying it's, it's a hill to climb and we need to face it and figure out how to get people up the hill. So let's talk about Angular. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree. It's it's been um, I spent a lot of time there, but you mentioned the router a little bit, Igor. I believe it was you who mentioned it. Or maybe it was Brad. We're talking about things that have to kind of round out and get ready for the release. Can you tell us about kind of what your plans are for the router and why you feel like you need to do a little bit more work there? Yeah, I, I can definitely talk about that a little bit. The, the biggest challenge I see is uh, if you look at how we configure routes today and how we generate links to all these routes. You know, things work. I feel like the capability-wise and feature-wise, the router is pretty solid. Like, we have all the right features. Uh, you know, we can tackle scenarios that we could not even imagine with Angular 1. So all of that is good. Uh, I'm sure, you know, people will come across bugs and will fix those, but but uh, architecturally and conceptually, uh, I feel pretty good about, about the router. One thing that bugs me is that the way we express the configuration and how we create links, it's uh, slightly error-prone. Maybe slightly is a, it's a very, very soft way to put it. I, I think we can do much better. Uh, now the question is how to do much better. And one, one of our goals with Angular 2 is you know, make it tooling-friendly, make it so that we can analyze things statically and do as much work as possible up front so that we do very little work at runtime. And this allows us to you know, get the performance and create smooth, uh, smooth feeling applications. I feel like with router, we, we can do better in this area. So, uh, especially in statically analyzing the links and statically analyzing how different parts of applications are, are interconnected. And this is uh, something we're exploring. Like, could we create an API that doesn't rely on uh, constant strings, but rather we have symbols or objects uh, with methods that we could use for generating methods. I, there, there's a proposal for, uh, that is uh, on GitHub that kind of uh, solves this problem, but that proposal is running problems with list loading. Like, if you get all this tooling and static analyzability, how do you do lazy loading in such work, because, uh, such world? 
because uh, as soon as you do lazy loading, you don't have a single compilation unit. You're basically breaking an application into multiple entry points and multiple compilation units, and that kind of uh, affects auto completion and all the static uh, static properties of the application. So before we decide what exactly we want to do with the routing, we decided to tackle the lazy loading first. So our strategy is, you know, figure out how to do lazy loading in general, uh, how to deal it, you know, end to end, starting from compilation all the way to to loading and and uh, joining the code and making the code uh, interoperate in runtime. And once that is solved, uh, which is what we are working on now. We'll go back to the router and, and look, you know, how does the, the router fit into this new world where the lazy loading is properly defined as proper rules, and uh, let's apply these rules to the router. To, to be clear, lazy loading works, and we're using it in production with various apps. What Igor is talking about is making it work end-to-end -end with your package manager of the router, and so things just can happen for you. And you don't have to do it manually. Yeah. So that, if I hear you right then, Brad, what you're saying is that you could just define your app and your routes and your app just by nature of how the router component works is it would automatically that's, figure out how to lazy load things for you. You have to cool. do nothing. Yeah. Well, one of the goals on our 10K plan is to load routes lazily so that you don't pay uh, upfront cost of downloading your entire application when you just want to render one screen. So it makes so much sense to me because uh, so many of the routers I've seen in the past required a lot of configuration, all the configuration yeah. up front. It made it very difficult to change what's available later, whether it's for lazy loading or because authorizations changed uh, and you wanted to open or close certain features. So the fact that you're starting from that larger problem and working back to the router just makes so much sense to me. It does, and you know, as somebody who just just last night I was working on a routing example for a certain documentation example, uh, it hit me as I was trying to explain how to do routing with Angular 2. Well, I get it, and it works. The number of things that I have to configure, and I'm not just talking the route config, I'm talking about the different things I have to import, like uh, the router link, the router directives, the router providers, uh, and then the different options on route config. I'm still making mistakes along the way, especially when I do like nested routes. Uh, for example, I've seen, I've done this three times, it made me feel good the other day, a very respected friend of mine who's very good at Angular 2 made the same mistake of, I had a route, and I actually pointed it to itself, and I know that doesn't work, but somehow, because I got so confused in the route configuration, I did that, and of course the error was like, dude, what are you doing? So I think the problem isn't, isn't that the router's bad, it's that to do routing well, you have to tell the router a lot of information. And right now, it's a lot of manual strings, as Igor pointed out. But if there's a way to make that simpler or better, I'm all for it. I think that'd be great for everybody. Yeah, that, that's definitely a goal. Like, if you look at the evolution of Angular 2, we started with more verbose but very explicit, non-ambiguous syntax, and then slowly shaved off stuff as we got experience uh, with with uh, the semantics of the code, as Mishko mentioned. You know, we are really focused on the semantics. The syntax can always be improved. You can change syntax a completely different syntax if you want to. The semantics are very difficult to change, and especially when it comes to migration. And we see this, you know, very clearly with uh, Angular One going to Angular Two. The syntactical changes are not a big deal. It's the semantical changes between the two that will be the biggest challenge for for us. And this is what we are focusing our geography effort on. Speaking of syntactical changes, uh, I just, I might, they wouldn't be complete, Igor, unless I, got, I heard you say the term banana in a box on this podcast. Because I think it was you who uh, coined it, wasn't it? 
<laughs> oh, we needed that. We definitely needed that moment. So, yeah, Victor Safkin is our functional programming freak and expert. I know. I, 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 I think both are true. <laughs> so he was the one who introduced the two-way binding syntax, and we need to be very careful about how we talk about two-way binding because I, I see people being confused about how we how we talk about it. We have a syntax that allows you to express one-way binding in both directions. So let's call it that way. And the syntax looks like a box banana. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a banana in a box. If you can put a box inside a banana, you're welcome to try it. You know so, what? I hear a song up top. I think, I think we need Ward to be the crooner and sing a song about a banana. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, goodness. Okay. And this just... has a long like, history of functional programming where there's a banana operators and, like, it's... it's if, if you want to geek out, just look at banana stuff and, uh, and functional programming, and you'll find interesting solutions. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that John Bach was going to have a dance to go with the banana We're going to have to make a new one at a conference. And let's be clear, have, the, the square brackets that we're talking about, right? Square brackets and the curly br- uh, yes. parentheses. parentheses, yes. Whatever they are. So I have a question that I'd like each of you to answer one after the other. And that is, what is the myth about Angular 2 that you encounter that you would like to explode? Each of you gets a shot at that question. Uh, you know, the, the funny one I get all the time is that uh, the Angular team might be going away. Not really specific to Angular 2, but you know. Well, that's true, isn't it? You want to say why? <laughs> well, I don't know why. I think like people. Well, I think people are worried. They want to know: Can I rely on this going forward? Well, what what makes them? What would make them? Ah, okay. I, don't I don't know. I, well, okay. So, like, look, Google's a big company, and like, not all of our products live forever. And so, they may look at other things that we've done and like, oh, that thing went away. There's no more Google Reader, uh, which we're on this team all very sad about, but. We're a big company. And so they look at that and like, well, look, some products went away. We may not have Angular forever. So who else wants to crack at that question? The myth about Angular 2 you wish could go. Google doesn't use Angular. Oh, I've heard that one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Nobody uses Angular. Well, that's a good one. Right. Because it's not, because there are certain Google products that don't use Angular, therefore Google doesn't use Angular. Right, right. We know we have not converted every single line of source code to Angular here yet. You know, it would be actually much easier for us if Google did not use Angular because we wouldn't need to do all these uh, upgrades and migration. <laughs> like, you know, in, in a weird way, I kind of wish that was the case, but uh, it's it's far from true. It's you know, we have three thousand applications or something crazy. Uh, there's, there's a lot. Like all of the like most of the big internal stuff we use, like green tea, like our. Our buganizer runs on it, and all of our HR tools and yeah. uh, hiring tools. Hiring tools. Uh, the whole cloud, the cloudgoogle.com, the whole thing, it's external facing and runs on Angular. Oh, but let, let me just plug um, madewithangular.com for the list of all the stuff that does run on Angular at Google. Yeah, and you can even check which of those applications are Google specific. So yeah. like, that's, that's not Google specific. There's like, I don't know. 30, 30 to 40 things from Google, but lots of things from all over the world. So let me invert that for a second and say, if Google's got such an investment in Angular 2, why is it bothering and why is it working so hard 
to develop a, an Angular for the public to use, which is a <laughs> tremendous burden, right? I mean, that's a lot of support. A good question. That's easy because that's fun for us. We get to do it. Uh, so Google does pays you to have fun. Oh, uh, okay. Well, this is a good question to answer. So, so we, we don't know it anymore. I mean, we're glad that you're doing it, but it's like, why are they give? Why are they working so hard? To make it easy for me, who does not work for Google, and John, who doesn't, and all the writers, why are they making it so, working so hard to make it easy for us to use Angular? There are many answers to this. Um, I think when people ask this question, they think that maybe we, we are cleaves uh, in the cogs of a machine that get thrown this way and that in Google. It's kind of us who decide to do these things, and I don't know, I've been here for a while, people trust me to do things, and we get to do this, this nice thing, but... The thing that we like about it, and I mean, Igor Mishko can jump in, is that we get tremendous feedback, and having a platform that's built with the input of the world is so much stronger than one that is purely, you know, inward-facing, where groupthink can dictate that it's good when it's really not. Yeah, and I think we are so lucky to be in this position where we are really on the boundary between the internal world of Google and the external world of open source or JavaScript development. And Angular is a result of fusion of these two worlds. Because I don't think we would be able to build Angular if it was purely open source project that would be just hacking on the open source uh, you know, free time. Uh, and it would also not be the same thing if we just build it internally and exported it like, you know, here's the code base, you know, go, go ahead and use it. It's really the, the fusion of the two worlds that breaks the magic and, and makes Angular work. And now, you know, through Angular, we created all these great friendships and partnerships with, with other teams like TypeScript and Rx, Ember, and, you know, lot, lots of other people that helped us influence where Angular is going and, you know, how it's evolving and how it works internally. And I don't think it would be possible to do it in any other way than we are doing. So I have a related question on kind of where things are heading towards for you guys, and that's, you guys mentioned these other teams you're working on, and React is another one, right? I assume you guys talk with them. Yep. React has a thing called React Native, and you're building mobile applications whatnot. That's pretty cool. Is there going to be like an Angular native, or where are you guys leaning? Where do you want to point people towards to build Angular 2 apps for mobile? So we, we've been working most closely with a company called Telerik, who is the guys who make the Kendo UI components for Angular and, and other platforms. But they, they have a platform called NativeScript, and they've been building this atop Angular 2. So you can build the same sort of services and components that you do, but all with an actually front-end rendered with native UI components. And they've developed this, and like we, they have a lot of good examples, and it's, to my knowledge, ready to go. We, we've also been working with the React team on React Native, and that's not as far along, but I, I'd love to see more investments, and Igor, maybe you've got some friends working on this also. Yeah, Mark from all of this. Yeah, so, so we, we have, so there, are, there are folks working on the React Native angle of this. There are different frameworks, or there are different ways to build native apps, and I think there will be rational reasons why you might pick either of them, depending on your needs. You know, where where the, and I, I don't know if I'm, somebody can slap me that I'm incorrectly categorizing these things, but, you know, one aspect of this is the NativeScript guys built a lot of their framework to make it possible to build one app that runs great on multiple deployment platforms, you know, iOS and Android, and I think Windows Mobile will come up as well. 
Whereas the, the React team is much more about, hey, we're going to provide a platform-specific API that you can use to build an iOS and Android app. I think there's, there's reasons you might pick either of them. Yeah, we had uh, TJ and Burke on both this show and the JavaScript Jabber show, and we actually have a React Native podcast on the devchat.tv network, so if you go to reactnativeradio.com, you can check that out. Actually, I tried to send the React team a bunch of Christmas cookies, and Christopher over there it hates me because I told him I was doing this, and they never showed up, so uh, I still hold <laughs> the cookies. <laughs> nice. So one of the questions I'd like to talk about is, I think that a lot of people, when they learned Angular 1, there was sort of an implicit guidance into architecture design. It was very light. It was very un- relatively unopinionated, even for Angular, which tends to be considered a fairly opinionated uh, framework, or at least moderately opinionated. And I think that with Angular 2, it seems like there's less guidance in the architectural, like, build things here, put things here, put this type of logic here and here. What are your thoughts about that comment? It's coming. I would actually say that in Angular 2, we're going to have more opinions or more recommendations than we had in Angular 1. Like, just if you look at Angular 1, we didn't have a package manager that we would say, like, this is the package manager that, you know, we stand behind and you should be using. Or we didn't have a module loader that we were saying, like, this is the module loader you should be using. We left all these things uh, open because at the time when we were building Angular 1, there was no clear winner. It was not clear what is the best for application. And depending on on the scenario and the company and the team that you were building the application with, the answer was different. In Angular 2, many of these things have solidified. You know, there is uh, just one main package manager out there for JavaScript, which is NPM. The module loader and the syntax, how you express imports and exports, have been specified uh, in uh, the ECMAScript specification. So right now we have just the syntax, the module loader is still on the way, but we're not not too far from there. So now that we have many of these you know, fundamental issues resolved in a standard way, we have much better foundation to build the rest of the recommendations on. And uh, the reason why we haven't had any strong opinions about how to build Angular 2 applications was because we needed to give a developer some freedom to experiment and see, you know, what is the best way to create my directory structure? What what is the best way to, you know, what kind of patterns to use? Uh, I think by now we have a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't. And uh, our focus uh, before to final will be on writing down these recommendations and building them into Angular CLI and, and building the rest of the tooling around these recommendations. Okay. Now, Joe, I know you, and so I think you meant some, something different from your question. What do you think I meant? You're <laughs> uh, asking, are we going to promote traditional OO-style app architecture or a more functional reactive app architecture? That's a great question to ask as well. <laughs> like I said, I, know I that. think that's the question you wanted. No, no, I know what the question Joe is asking. We've had conversations about this, so you guys and I have. So I know that this is uh, something that you guys do have heard me talking about before. But I'm just curious to hear, you know, where you guys are at in this, because I do think that uh, you know architecture matters, right? And we definitely have been living in this oh world, and now. Uh, more reactive architectures. I don't know if it's taking the world by storm so much as 
it's really showing up in a lot of places. So it's certainly being talked about in a lot of places, and we've been having this debate ourselves here uh, on this podcast as to whether there's a throwing the baby out with a bathwater thing going on. But, I mean, we're interested in, you, in whether you guys are uh, – I think that's a great question, Brad. So do you folks have a position on that, or are you going to be agnostic about that? Yeah, so we, we are supporting both, and it, we've actually designed Angular specifically to support both. Now, I have some opinions – and you guys jump in, and like everyone here should jump in. And so I think we, we haven't seen any big apps done in functional reactive style. I would like to see some big apps done in functional reactive style. Well, since we haven't seen them, I can't say wholeheartedly, yes, you should do them. This will happen to you if you do it. You know, at the same time, in the micro examples that we see, uh, there are a lot of nice properties of, you know, the functional reactive style. In testing and data flow and debugability and, but, you know, because we've, and at the same, like, I think Victor Savkin on our team, which you are highlighted as our expert, uh, he has some nice blog posts on, you know, when to pick one versus the other. And, like, I think it's actually not going to be a, uh, I'm purely one or the other, but I think it will be a mix. And kind of in the leaf nodes, it makes a lot of sense to have states. And in the core of my app, maybe I would love to have an immutable state that I deal with functionally. But the jury's a little bit out. And so we, we are supporting both. Um, we will have a bunch of blog posts. I've seen a lot of other good people using Redux and other architecture styles and, and things built on Rx specifically to do functional style with Angular 2. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I remember when we moved to object-oriented programming, there was a lot of evangelism and uh, and help we needed to give people. I think we'll need to help people get to the, the FRP style. I think we should also define what a large application is because uh, you know when we say large application, we mean you know hundreds of developers and hundreds yeah. of thousands, if not millions of lines to go. Yeah. That's right. So, like, on Green Tea, no, we're not using any reactive programming yet. Cool. Excellent answer. You know, one of the things I've, I've been asked about, I'm sure you guys have been asked about, we go from the sublime back down, is Angular 1, Angular 2 migration. Now, some people have heard the message, some people haven't heard the message, and some people, uh, those people who have heard the message about the NG upgrade and the tools would like to know, are those in a ready state? Are they uh, scheduled for dramatic change or, or just incremental improvement? So what's today's story about uh, upgrading from Angular 1? So the limitations are, so, so Angular 1, if you want to upgrade, you can upgrade any kind of component or service. Uh, by wrapping it into Angular 2, the kind of limitations that you have to deal with there is that any one uh, DOM element is really owned by either Angular 1 or Angular 2. Uh, so things like uh, a directive that only kind of augments an existing uh, element, clearly that cannot be migrated uh, in, in automatic fashion. You can certainly make a copy of it and rewrite it and have two copies of it running inside of, um, inside of Angular 1 and Angular 2. The other area... Uh, which is kind of limitation is that you know, Angular doesn't support the dollar compile function or any kind of a similarity. But short of those two, those things mentioned, the upgrade story works nice. It is something that we recommend you try and give it a look. And we, we're actually working with uh, several external and internal teams to gather support best practices because we do want to be able to hand people some recipes and things that would be helpful, like. You know, with green tea, we learned, hey, do your services first. We want to have a, a similar set of 
nice things that will be helping people get along faster and easier. And, you know, it's just another um, thing in, that, in your toolbox that you can certainly try converting the lean components over to Angular 2. There's no need for NG uh, upgrade, right? NG upgrade really comes into play where you get into situations where you need to use the same components from both Angular 1 and Angular 2 for whatever historical reasons, right? And so it's just nice to have this extra option. But you can certainly um, just you know start with the leads or start with the, the root of the application and just convert that one the other, uh, one after the other. There, you don't need NGFR, you can just do it consequentially. So think about it, like NGFR is good at breaking circular dependencies so that you don't have to be stuck going forward. When, you, when you're mixing Angular 2 inside an Angular 1, that's right. So can, can you kind of just explain to people real quick the difference between what ng upgrade and ng forward are? Uh, so ng forward is a community effort, uh, whereas ng upgrade is a internal core team effort. Uh, ng forward, uh, I believe, it teaches Angular one the Angular two syntax, but you keep the Angular one semantics. Whereas ng upgrade actually allows the two frameworks to coexist on a page and allows seamless uh, kind of back and forth. Uh, collaboration uh, for these two frameworks. So out there, there's a whole large community, and I honestly don't have any idea how large community is, but I imagine you guys do, and you hear from them all the time. Will we hear from you guys this year at conferences or in other news out there, and do you have anybody on your team who's kind of taking lead on the developer outreach? Yeah, so we, a person, so Jules Kremer joined our team uh, late last year, and she has been working on figuring out which conferences we're going to be at. And it's going to be a lot more than we were in the past years. We've been kind of hiding out. And while we, we went to Angular-specific conferences last year, we really want to go to places that maybe haven't heard the Angular 2 story, maybe not even the Angular 1 story. And you know, hopefully you, you'll see us. Um, maybe not the whole team, but we do want to send folks to a bunch of the, the places that we've not been in the past. Can you be more specific than that? Ah, okay. Um, I we have a big list. We need to get it public. It's going to be public. Uh, we, we, yeah, we'll publish our list. Are you going to Fluent? Uh, I am going to Fluent. Yeah, I think I'm going to be in the keynote, so I'm excited about that. Okay, NDC. How about that one? <laughs> I don't think it's on my list, man. <laughs> All right. Here's the most important one because this is by far the best conference out there. Uh, conference. And I, I totally surprised you with what I said, didn't you? Didn't I? You did. You threw me off, Joe. <laughs> Are you going to that conference? We've, we've been there in the past. I think, like, Brian's been, or I've been. I've been. Oh, Mishko's been. Brian, I think, also has been. It's kind of cute the first time you hear about that conference, haha, but it gets old soon. <laughs> <laughs> I just love going on water slides in between talks. <laughs> Yeah, yes. Joe Joe gives his talks in his swim trunks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. a much this is a much less important one, but are you by chance going to NGConf? Yes. Well, what is NGConf? Oh, Peter, I'll tell you later. <laughs> we'll tell you when you're older, right? <laughs> so so my question is, I think people are pretty used to hearing announcements at some of these conferences, especially some of them like Angular Connect or NGConf. And with the beta being out there, are there gonna be any big announcements or big surprises at any of these conferences? Or is it going to be pretty much just, here's the progress we made and more or less what you expected since it's in beta? I think it depends on if you read our meeting notes or not. I think he's just sneakily trying to ask if final is going to be ready for NGCon. No, no, no. Yeah, but so we, we will surprise people who, who aren't paying attention to all of our completely open progress. <laughs> oh, okay. It may be very surprising to them. 
Uh, but if you read, uh, read GitHub, like, nothing we do can be a surprise because it's all, you can see every move we make. I suppose that's true. All right. Almost every, almost every discussion that, that, that happens in there, it's really, it can be overwhelming to try and stay on top. So, so just don't read it and then it, there'll be a lot of surprises. <laughs> yeah, it'll be super nice. All right. Well, I know that, uh, some of, some folks have said they have to go soon. So let's go ahead and get to the picks. John, do you have some picks for us? I do. There's an awesome new NPM module out there that I want to tell the whole world about because the owner of it is so proud of it. It's an awesome in-memory web API uh, up on NPM. And the author is actually our, our famous Ward Bell. It's, so if you need some kind of in-memory web, web API to run with, definitely check this thing out. I'll put the link to it inside of the show notes. It's called A2-N-Memory-Web-API. Oh, well, there's not enough dashes in that name, Ward. I know, you need to throw in a hyphen or two. (laughs) Maybe some underscores. I'm working on that. I'm trying to see how long we can make a name. It's a tradition (laughs) at my company to come up with a a very long name. If you're going to promote it, and thank you, John, um, then uh, by all means uh, contribute. Uh, It needs a lot of help, but it's a start. I appreciate that. Yeah, I just went into beta last month. Oh, wait, that was something else. (laughs) It actually just got written this weekend, so... But it's, it, it truly is really, really cool. I'm actually using it to put some courseware together. And uh, I guess that's my other pick is I'm very excited to announce that I'll be writing an Angular 2 course for Pluralsight, which will be coming out uh, hopefully in February. Woo! Nice. All right, Ward, what are your picks? Well, I'm going off tech altogether because last night I saw... Star Wars? <laughs> and he loved it. <laughs> Never! Gosh. I did anything but watch that. Instead of Star Wars, I went to see Julia Gillard, the first uh, female prime minister of Australia, as far as I know, the only one so far, uh, speak. And I was blown away by her talent and her skills as a presenter were spectacular. I've never seen a, a politician who could present that well. Uh, her sensibilities were so great. She's a total star, so if you ever get a chance to see her speak, and she speaks throughout the U.S. often, put her on your list. Julia Gillard, former Prime Minister of Australia. All right. Joe, what are your picks? All right. So uh, I spent the weekend at Bryce National Park and had a great time. And so I'm going to pick Bryce National Park as a my pick for today. It's a really fun National Park, got some amazing, amazing geography to look at, and a lot of fun hikes. We didn't do too much hiking because of the amount of snow that's there in the winter, but it is really, really great National Park and does have a lot of fun hikes if you either want to go do more snowshoeing-type hiking in the winter or go in the summer. And while I'm at it, I'm going to pick a new board game I just played this last weekend that I really liked as well called Stockpile. That's one word, S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E. Great board game, easy to learn and pick up, plays fairly quick, plays like five people or something. Being a big board game geek that I am, I play a lot of new board games, and this one stuck out to me. It's a great one. Oh, and one more thing I want to mention is that, of course, NGConf is coming up. We've got a lot of awesome things that are planned and some amazing events involving, of course, the Angular team themselves and lots of experts in the industry. And we're always looking for sponsors. So if your company is interested in sponsoring NGConf, could hold us. As of right now, that's the only way to, really the only way to get tickets other than being accepted as a speaker. The CFP is open right now. So if you have any great ideas for an awesome talk on Angular, submit those in. All right, Lucas, what about you? 
So my pick this week is the uh, GitHub uh, pro- or the project NGRX by Rob Wormald. It's absolutely fantastic. Just it's a Redux style uh, project. Uh, those with observables, really easy to use. Just kind of inverted my entire paradigm about how data flows in an Angular application. And um, I'm writing a blog post on it now. And then Ward and I can uh, duke it out uh, when that's, that's done and live. But uh, awesome work by Rob on NGRX. It's really, really cool. Actually, I think it's very cool, too. So just because I uh, take up the traditional side of these things doesn't mean I'm not curious. <laughs> All right. I've got some picks. The first one is I just want to let people know, especially in this audience, that uh, I'm actually working things out so that we can do a live show at ng-nl. Now, live means that I'll be there. Um, putting Crowdcast or Google Hangouts or something up on the screen so that everybody else can join in. So if you want to be involved with that, then uh, go ahead and, and jump in. And I'm probably going to do a meetup beforehand. I'm going to let the Angular guys go if, if you guys have a second to do some picks, since uh, it seems like you guys have to go too, and then I'll finish up my picks. Uh, I, I can never pick just one. So I saw this crazy movie called The Revenant, which is not really my kind of movie, but if you want to feel grateful about your situation in a first world country, go watch that. And if you want something technical, there's an awesome article on the PonyFu website on service workers and, uh, and, and how they can make things a lot better for loading apps. Awesome. So I'd like to thank Bill for doing an awesome job on a documentation server. Angular 2. Now I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm picking him, or yes, I'm picking him. <laughs> I'm picking on him. <laughs> okay, I, I have two things. I read this very interesting book called Architecture of Open Source Applications. The premise of the book is there have been many successful open source projects out there that we should learn about. And unlike architects of uh, real buildings, uh, software engineers don't really study history and don't look at, you know, how these successful projects have been architected. We learn a lot about, you know, languages and, and how to do stuff, but not how things have been done in the past and what would come with it. And basically, this book tries to capture several very successful such projects in a very objective way and show, you know, what worked with it. Uh, I really like it. Uh, the second thing I want to pick is iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil. I tried it. I played with it. I played with the with the paper app, and it's amazing. And like really, really cool stuff. I always like do- to doodle, but uh, I tried different tablets, different things, iPad or Android uh, tablets in the past, and nothing worked well. Uh, paper was always better, but now with the with the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil, wow. This is so powerful. I'm still highly skeptical, but uh, you can prove me wrong. We'll have to compare notes in NGCom. Okay. All right. So my other pick that I was going to do was just the people that have, have been working with me for a while to get all this stuff done. Mandy, I think we mentioned her probably in like every third show, but uh, she's worked with me for a while. She's the one that helps line up a lot of the guests, make sure they know what they need to do to get on the show, edits the podcast. She does a great job with all that stuff. And so uh, a big thanks to her. And then um, I've also got a developer that's been working with me for the past two or so years. Um, and he's helped me put together most of devchat.tv and the conference sites and everything else. Uh, his name is Federico. And uh, so a quick shout out to him as well, uh, just because he's done a lot of work that uh, you all have benefited from. And uh, I really want to give him some credit. So, uh, so yeah, so those are my picks. 
And uh, I don't think there's anything else. So we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. And we'll catch y'all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 